The Lord God, through His Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. I was in intermediate Greek in seminary when I first heard that statement that my professor, Dr. Easley, coined. And it really captured my heart because it's a helpful summary of the Bible. Someone might say, wait, what's the Bible about? The Lord God, through His Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. And that statement answers the question, what is God up to in human history? What is God doing in our world? Where is everything headed? The Lord God, through His Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. I love that statement. I think it's so helpful. And because of that, that overarching reality, our vision statement is focused on the kingdom. Our vision statement is this. We want to be a church that is expanding His kingdom across the street and around the world. In other words... If God is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people through His Christ for His own glory, if that's what God's up to, that's what we want to be up to, right? If God's about His kingdom, we want to be about His kingdom as individuals, as families, as a family of faith. And so this sermon series, The King and His Kingdom, is meant to just reemphasize who we are as a church, the direction we're headed, and to discuss our vision really under four different headings. A couple weeks ago, I talked to you about kingdom citizenship, that the first step in being a part of the kingdom of God is receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when that happens, you're called out of the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of light, under the rule and reign of King Jesus. You become a citizen of that kingdom. And then last week, we talked about kingdom families, that God has designed our home to be our homes, to be, a, to be kingdom outposts, wherever he's placed us, let our light shine brightly. And then today we're going to talk about kingdom connections. In the kingdom, God wants his citizens to connect with one another, to build relationships for the purpose of our spiritual growth and maturity. And then next week, we're going to talk about kingdom advance, getting the gospel to the very ends of the earth, how we can be a part of that. And then the final part of the series... We're going to talk about the center of it all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and concurrent with this series, we are introducing next week a brand new logo. We've been going through a redesign process these past few months, and the logo ties into our kingdom vision, the different four components of our vision, and it helps to communicate who we are and where we are headed. So I'm excited about rolling that out to you next week and be here for that. But this this series... excuse me, is all about the king and his kingdom. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, as we discuss kingdom connections. Kingdom connections. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, is where we will begin. This passage is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And this is, you're no stranger to this passage. We emphasize this passage often. But in reverence and honor for the reading of God's Word, if you're physically able, would you stand with me this morning as we read? 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. The Bible says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, you are great and glorious, and it is such a privilege to be in your presence. Such a privilege to gather as a faith family and sing these great songs of your faithfulness. And God, as, as we come to this time of Bible study, I pray that we would bow our hearts before your word. And I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, with with, with power, by your Spirit, that our lives might be changed. Lord, help us to understand the importance of relationships, the importance of connecting with one another when it comes to expanding your kingdom. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. To understand how vital connecting with one another is. To understand how critical relationships are with one another, we need to answer three questions. We're going to pose three questions and answer them from God's Word. And to sort of set the stage for what I'm about to share with you, let's just imagine that there was a cattle herder in North Africa, part of the Fulani people group, who was a believer in Christ. Then imagine with me there's a a Christian fisherman in Burma on Inlay Lake, part of the Intha people group. We have a, a team in Burma right now, so be praying for them. Then imagine with me there's a Christian businessman in Western Europe and a Christian stay-at-home mom in Michigan and a church planter in Oregon and an accountant in Texas. And someone said to me, Wade... I want to take you to each of these Christians in their different context, and I'm going to give you 30 minutes to share with them how they can change the world. What I would share with each of those people in their context is what I'm about to share with you. This is God's design for every believer. No matter where you live, no matter what your occupation is, no matter what you do, this is God's plan for every believer to change the world. It's that vital. And so I want to share this with you under these three questions. Number one, what is our commission? What are we to be about? Well, back in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we see that Jesus drives home this point with the major verb in this sentence. Now, there's a major verb or an imperative verb which speaks of a command in this verse, and it's modified by three participles. We'll get to the participles in a moment, but first I want to share with you the major imperative, the major command of this, uh, of this verse, and it is in verse 19, make disciples. That's the major verb, and the scope is this, make disciples of all the nations. That is our commission. Now, Jesus here is about to ascend to the Father. He had died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And before he ascended back to the Father to sit at his right hand, 
He wanted to give his disciples that, that crystal clear commission as to what they were to be all about. And he gives them these words. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And so here's the commission for the disciples and our commission as believers in Christ. We are to make disciples of all the people groups on the earth. That's what we are to be about. That's what our church is to be about. It's what our families are to be about. That's what we are to be focused on, making disciples of all the people groups on the earth. This happens as we share Christ and a person gets saved. They become a follower of Christ. Then we teach them how to walk with Christ to the point where they are reaching out to others and they are making disciples as well. That is the command, the commission from Christ himself. That's what Jesus did when he was on the earth for For about 33 years, the last three years of his life, his public ministry was was focused on investing in a small group of men so that they would be prepared and equipped when he was no longer physically upon the earth to carry the gospel to the nations. That was his pattern, his plan, investing in a small group, uh, connecting with a small group of men so they could grow to the point where they were reaching out themselves. And that's the model that Paul used. Paul used the same model that Jesus used to change the world. As a matter of fact, hold your place, but turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says this, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Same plan Jesus had. Timothy, I've passed the gospel on to you. I've passed the word of God on to you. Now your job is to pass it on to others. And you not only pass it on to them, but you teach them how to pass it on. You're not just making disciples, you're making disciple makers. And then their job is to pass it on, and then their job is to pass it on. And the gospel continues to spread to the very ends of the earth. That was the plan of Jesus, that was the plan of Paul, and that is God's commission for me and for you. We are to make disciples of all the nations, all the people groups on the face of this earth. So that is our commission. But here's the second question I want to pose and then answer from God's word. What is a disciple? Jesus said, make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, the word disciple basically means follower or learner. So we're to connect people with Christ, share the gospel so they can be saved, and they can begin to follow Christ, to learn from Christ. That's what a disciple is. But I believe there's a, a comprehensive picture of a disciple found in Matthew chapter 4, 19. If you want to just turn there with me, I want to show you this, this picture, which really helps us to understand the components of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, the context here in Matthew 4 is Jesus is walking along by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon Peter, and he sees his brother Andrew. And when he sees them, he says these words to them in verse 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In that phrase, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, we see the definition or a picture of a disciple. And this is there in your notes. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone that knows and follows Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Follow after me. So our job is to share the good news so people can understand their need for a Savior and understand how they can be saved. And then when they embrace Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, they come into a relationship with him. They know and follow 
Christ. That's the first part of being a disciple. Follow me, Jesus said. The second component of being a disciple is this, that a person is being changed by Christ. Jesus said, follow me, watch this, and I will make you. I will make you. In other words, you're not who you need to be right now. But if you'll follow me, I'll make you in who you need to be so you can serve me and live for my glory. When I was saved at nine years of age, I wasn't who I needed to be to serve God and make a difference in this world. But Christ has been continually changing me to make me into who I need to be to serve him and to make disciples. And so the second part of a disciple is, uh, the second component of a disciple is they're being changed by Christ. Here's the third thing. A disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you, what? Fishers of men. I'm going I'm to focus your efforts on, on capturing people for the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing them into my kingdom. And so that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone that knows and follows Christ, is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. And I've simplified that for you, made it even shorter. You ready? I like this little short definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone that is saved, growing, and going. That's a disciple. Someone that's saved, growing in their faith, and going on mission with Christ. That is a disciple. So when Jesus says, Matthew 28, 19, make disciples, this is what he's looking for. That we help people to encounter Christ so they can be saved. We help them to grow, and we help them to understand they are to be on mission with Christ. We are to make disciples. Which leads to the third question. Okay, wait. We've seen our commission to make disciples of all the people groups on the face of the earth. We've seen what a disciple is, saved, growing, going. But how do we do that? How do we actually make disciples? What is the process that Jesus would have us to follow? Well, back in Matthew chapter 28, remember I told you there's a a verb, an imperative there, which drives this verse. But this verb is modified by three participles. And the three participles help us to understand how we make disciples. It gives us the, the components, the process of making disciples. And it's, and it's very simple. And again, this process is not just for preachers. It's not just for staff members or church planters. It's not just for missionaries. This process I'm about to outline for you is for the cattle herder that lives in North Africa, the fisherman in Burma, the businessman in Western Europe, the church planter in Oregon, the stay-at-home mom in Michigan, the accountant in Texas. This process is for everyone. This process is for you sitting right there in your seat today. This is the process that Christ puts in our hands so that we can change the world. Are you interested? Okay, three of you are. That's encouraging. Let me share with you this process that Christ gives us to show us how we are supposed to make disciples. Number one, go. Go. In verse 19 of chapter 28, we see the first participle. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That word go there literally translates as you are going or in your sphere of influence, you are to make disciples. That means that with the influence God has given us, the relationships God has given us, the opportunities God gives us, we are to share the good news about Jesus so that people who are not saved can be saved and be a part of the kingdom of God. we got to go. We've got to engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the, the point. We are to intentionally, 
intentionally take the gospel to people. Intentionally, we're to take the gospel to people. David Platt writes, this is a command for us to be gospel-living, gospel-speaking people at every moment and in every context where we find ourselves. So wherever we find ourselves, our goal is to, is to quickly talk about Jesus and live the implications of the gospel before a watching world. And this is where, in my view, the church in America is missing it. Because statistics say that about 95% of those that name the name of Christ never share Jesus with someone they believe to be lost. Never. And so we're, we're, we're losing our nation, aren't we? Because we're not sharing with people how they can have their lives changed by Jesus Christ. And not only are we losing our nation, but statistically we're losing our kids. Because we're not opening up our mouths and talking about Jesus. So if we're going to make disciples, we've got to go. As we are going, in our sphere of influence, every opportunity, we are to share Christ. The summer of 2014, uh, I had my... 20-year reunion uh, from my high school graduation. And so Claire and I went to the reunion, and uh, you know, folks knew that I was a pastor. And, and so they asked me to, to pray before the meal, which I thought was great. And they also said, uh, uh, Wade, we've had some, some class members die um, and some teachers die from when we graduated. And we want you to just to kind of share those names and just kind of have a just little memorial service uh, before we eat and have our, our reunion party. And, and so they gave me the microphone. And I've got nothing to lose, right? What are they going to do? Not invite me back? or I mean, what? And so I just very quickly, concisely, I, I walked through the names, the people that we've lost, and then I just shared, just, just, just very briefly, I shared with them, that we all will face mortality, morta- mortality. We will all face our death one day. And our only hope is found in Jesus Christ. And I just shared very quickly that Jesus Christ has changed my life. And I said, if you want to talk to me about that, I'm not on Facebook, but my wife is. Find Claire on Facebook. And if you need to talk, just contact her and we'll, we'll talk some more about this. And then I prayed and that was it. But it was an open door, right? It was an open door. Just to, just to share Christ with my classmates. I wish I would have done a better job of sharing Christ when I was in high school with them. And I missed a lot of opportunities back then. But when they gave me the microphone, it was an open door just to, just to share Christ. And so we need to look for those opportunities. And as we are going, we need to talk about Jesus. We, we, we go. That's the first step. We've got to engage people with the good news. Here's the second step in making disciples. Baptize. The second participle is the word baptize. There in verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So wait, what is baptism and why is it such a big deal? Well, baptism is a step of obedience that pictures a changed life and identifies us with Christ and his church. In other words, if Christ calls us to a life of obedience, we need to start with obedience. And the way we start with obedience is when we receive Christ, our Lord and Savior, we get baptized because that's what Jesus told us to do. And, and baptism pictures how Christ has changed my life. The old self has died. We're raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is a way for us to public, publicly proclaim that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And baptism, what it does is it identifies you with the church. It identifies you with people that 
that follow Jesus. So when you're baptized, you are in a very public way saying, I'm now a follower of Christ. I identify with the church. In a way, baptism connects people with the church of Jesus Christ. So it's important that we obey. Jesus told us to get baptized for a reason. This is not just some religious ritual. Jesus told us when someone becomes my follower, the first step of obedience is baptism. And so when we see someone saved, we see someone brought into the kingdom of God, a new believer, then we encourage them to get baptized. You say, wait, I, I, don't, I don't do baptism. Who will do that? I'll do it for you. All right? I'll do the baptizing for you, okay? Uh, our staff will do it for you. But, in, in, hey, say, hey, we, 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 you ought to get baptized. You ought to get baptized. It's a, it's a step that you need to take, a step of obedience. And so first step is go. Second step is baptize. Third step is teach. Verse 20, Jesus says, after he says, go and, and make disciples and baptize them, he says in verse 20, teaching them, third part of simple, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So when we see someone that is a, a follower of Christ, our job as Christians, as a church, our job is to help believers in Christ mature in their faith by teaching them all of the commandments of Christ. We are to teach them the Bible, teach them the word of God, teach them Christ's expectations for their life. Now, in the church I grew up in, there was a, a, a great people in my church. And I learned a lot in my church. I was saved in the ministry of my church. But a lot of times in my church growing up, I saw a huge emphasis on conversion. Preach the gospel to folks and get saved. But not a lot happening with new believers after they were saved. It was just like, well, keep showing up to church. That's what you need to do. And there wasn't an emphasis on investing in people to teach them intentionally the expectations of Christ for their life so they could grow and they could reach out to others. You see, the job of reaching out was the pastor's job, right? We pay the preacher to do the reaching out. But the plan of Jesus is this. When someone is saved, you you baptize them, then you teach them how they can reach out because you have a sphere of influence that I don't have. You have a sphere of influence that that our staff doesn't have. It's your sphere of influence. And you can make an impact by reaching out as you go. And when someone is a new believer in Christ, we're to teach them that. They're to grow and walk with Jesus and follow him and obey him and live for his glory to the point where they are reaching out to others saying, you can be saved just like I was. That is the plan of Christ. That is the simple process of of Christ. We are to help believers in Christ mature in their faith by teaching them all of the commandments of Christ. So three simple steps. Go, see that they're baptized, teach them the commandments of Christ. Simple, right? Somehow we've overcomplicated things, haven't we? When it really is this simple. And any believer can do this. This is not just for preachers. He's talking in Matthew 28 to to fishermen. It's for anybody. But there are three essentials that you and I need to understand if we're going to be effective disciple makers. Three steps and three essentials. Here are the three essentials. Number one, the Word of God. The Word of God. The Bible is the final authority for faith and practice and is sufficient for our Christian lives. In other words, if we're going to be faithful disciple makers, we've got to have the foundation of truth, the Word of God. And so when someone is saved by hearing the gospel that comes from the Word of God, 
We tell them to be baptized, which is taught in the Word of God. Then we teach them the Word of God. You see a theme here? It's that simple. We teach them the Bible. You say, wait, if I approach a person that's a new believer, or if I approach a person that is a believer but's never been discipled before, or if, if I lead someone to faith in Christ, what should I do? What should I teach them? The Bible. That's what you teach them. And, and we'll give you some tools and some handles and, and some things that can help you in that, but ultimately it comes back to teaching them the Bible. Now, now imagine with me for a moment that we're standing on this mountain with the disciples listening into their conversation. And Jesus gives them the commission and says, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then Jesus ascends to the Father. And the disciples are left there on the mountain t- talking. And one of them says, Okay, if I share the gospel, someone gets saved and we see him baptized. How are we supposed to teach them? What should we do? And another disciple says, well, listen, uh, back in Jerusalem, there's a Lifeway Christian store. And if you'll go there, there's some glossy Bible studies that you can get. And, and you just work through those Bible studies with them and, and you'll be good. Then another disciple says, well, no, wait a minute. All they have to do is turn on 640 a.m. And they can listen to John MacArthur and Adrian Rogers and, and these different great preachers of the faith. And, and they can just listen to the radio and grow in their faith and learn the word of God. And another one says, wait a minute, there's some, there's some guys on TV that are good to listen to. And so they can find the right guys on TV and listen to the TV preachers. And, and, and then they could grow in their faith that way. And you say, that's ridiculous, Wade. This is in the first century. They did not have Lifeway, did they? They did not have Christian radio. They did not have Christian TV. What did they have? They had the Word of God. And the Word of God is sufficient for our Christian growth and to set us on a a trajectory of Christian mission. The Bible is truth with no mixture of error given to us by God, and it is sufficient for our Christian walk. And so... Whatever we're doing, we've got to make sure that the Bible is the foundation for preaching, for connect groups, for any kind of meetings we're having. The Bible, the truth of the Word of God, is the foundation for that ministry. So the first essential is the Word of God. The second essential is the Spirit of God. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, and that's important that we live surrendered to the power of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us power to obey Christ. So wait, how can I have the wisdom and the strength I need to do this? To work out this process. You said it's for me. How can I do this? I feel so weak. You are weak and so am I. And the only way we can do this, the only way we can obey is by the power of the Spirit who lives in us. So try this out every day, every day, every day. Would you just spend some time confessing your sin to God? Just say, God, I've blown it. There's some areas in my life that, I, that are not in line with, with you. I've sinned, and I confess my sin. I don't, I don't want it in my life anymore. Would you, would you create in me a clean heart, O oh God? And then, every day, say, Holy Spirit of God, you live in me. Now, would you fill me up? Would you give me the power I need? Holy Spirit of God, fill up my life. I bet. If everyone in this room prayed that prayer every day and surrendered their life every day to the power of the Spirit, things would change in Hernando. Quickly. Because the Spirit gives you the power and the wisdom you need. 
There's another reason that we need to rely upon the Spirit, because He's the one that changes lives. Have you discovered yet that you can't change the human heart? And if we're going to invest in people and share the gospel and teach them the commandments of Christ, we've got to rely on the Spirit to do that work of transformation in them. We don't change them, the Spirit does. So the Spirit of God is essential for disciple-making. And here's the third essential for disciple-making. This is so important. This gets back to kingdom connections. The third essential is relationships. Let me show you the priority that Jesus placed on relationships. Turn back to Mark chapter 3, or over to Mark chapter 3. Mark three fourteen. I want to show you the plan of Jesus to invest in a small group of men for three years. And I want to show you how he did it. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says, He, Jesus, appointed twelve, whom he also called named apostles, so that they might be with him. Notice that phrase, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Do you see the simplicity of his plan? He gathered 12 men and said, spend some time with me. Three years. Just, I'll live life with you. We'll we'll walk to villages and cities together. I'll teach you. I'll correct you. I'll encourage you. Just spend time with me. And then I'll send you out to others to share good news. Jesus placed a premium on relationships. He knew that if this group of men was going to change the world, they would have to be invested in. And he knew if he was going to invest in them, he had to spend time with them. He called them so so that they might be with him. Relationships. That's what Jesus did. Now listen to me. This is so important. Discipleship, making disciples, will not happen apart from relationships. It's not going to happen. There are no shortcuts. And, And here's my... My kind of big picture look at the church the last 30 years in America. We've, we've been largely influenced by this church growth movement. And in my mind, the church growth movement has been looking for a shortcut. If we just have the right program, the right kind of stuff happening, then we'll see disciple making happen. And it doesn't work like that. What's happened is we've seen churches that can add to their numbers, but there's no depth because people aren't growing Because discipleship is not about gathering a crowd. Did you hear me? Sometimes Jesus sent the crowds home. Right? Discipleship is about relationships. It's about investing in others, spending time with folks, living life together. That's what discipleship is all about. There are no shortcuts. So let's stop looking for shortcuts And just do what Jesus did. You know, we ask the question, what would Jesus do? We don't have to ask that question anymore. The question we should ask is, what did Jesus do? And then do what he did. Spend time with folks for the purpose of helping them mature and reach out with the gospel. There are no shortcuts. And here's why relationships are so critical. Kingdom connections are so critical that we spend time together. Three things happen when we spend time together intentionally. Number one, modeling happens. Modeling happens. First Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says, you imitated us. We came and preached the gospel to you. You were saved. 
You imitated us. And you imitated us to such a degree that your faith began to spread. You began to share your faith, and, and the entire area was influenced by your sharing of the gospel. So notice what happens. Paul says, you imitated our manner of living. And when we spent time together, I showed you how to walk with Christ. I showed you how to serve Christ. So when we spend time together, we can model for each other what it means to follow Jesus, right? If you're not very far along in your faith, you can spend time with someone that is far along in their faith, and you can watch them and see how they live their life, and you can emulate them. And if you've been a Christian for some time now, your job is to live in a way that you're worthy of being emulated. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said this, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, you're not ready to be imitated until you are faithfully imitating Jesus. And then people begin to imitate the Jesus in you. So here's the question. This is a big question. You ready? If people begin to imitate the way you live your Christian life, what kind of Christian would they be? If they just did what you did, they just followed your example, what kind of Christian would they be? Say, wait, I don't know if they'd be much of a Christian at all in terms of a vibrant, growing, evangelistic faith. Well, listen to me. There's some accountability in this, isn't there? If your life is not worthy of emulation, start imitating Christ and be worthy of emulation. Then when folks are around you and you're spending time with folks and living life with folks, they can learn what it means to follow Jesus by watching you. So when we're together in relationships, imitation happens, modeling happens. Secondly, encouragement happens. Over in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, We were like fathers among you. We cared for you. We encouraged you. We exhorted you. Paul understood that the Christian life is not easy. It's wonderful. It's fulfilling. It's glorious. But it's not easy. It's worth it to follow Christ. But it's not easy, right? And so you and I, we need exhortation And we need to be exhorters for others. When someone steps into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, our job is to come along beside them and walk with them through the mountaintops and the valleys and and encourage them and exhort them and, and cheer them on to keep on keeping on for Christ. We get together, encouragement happens, right? We cheer each other on. That's so important because, listen, all of us in this room, we are all in desperate need of encouragement. We really are. There's another thing that happens when we get together in relationships. Accountability happens. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, I want to send Timothy to you because I know that you're going through some afflictions and I want to see how your faith is doing. Is your faith being shaken through the afflictions are you, or are you standing strong for Christ? So I'm going to send Timothy, listen, to check on you and see how you're doing. There's accountability in that. And I believe one of the missing ingredients in the church today is accountability. For example, when's the last time someone asked you, someone that loves you, someone you trust, someone that's a believer, When's the last time someone asked you, how are you doing in your walk with Christ? 
I would, I would guess that most of us in this room have not been asked that question in a very long time. No one's checking on us. No accountability. You know why the church is exploding in Asia? In countries where it's illegal to worship Christ publicly? You know why it's spreading from house to house? Because they hold each other accountable. They get together at a house at 3 in the morning, and, and one guy says, listen, I've got five neighbors that are lost. They need Christ. And the next time they get together, the rest of the church in the house says, hey, how'd it go with your five neighbors? Did you talk to them? That's where the rubber meets the road, right? So what if we were transparent enough to give people the permission to lovingly speak into our life? And say, hey, how's it, are you reading the Bible? How's that going? What's God speaking to you about from your time in his word? How's your prayer life? Hey, have you shared Christ with anybody lately? How's your thought life? How are you treating your spouse? How's it going with your kids? What if we begin to ask each other those kinds of questions? It would, listen, it would be a game changer. The Holy Spirit would use that in our life. To help us to focus on what's most important. But for accountability to happen, we got to get together, don't we? Accountability doesn't happen over the phone or passing in the hall, talking about your football team, does it? Accountability happens when you're there with somebody, eyeball to eyeball, kneecap to kneecap, loving each other, cheering each other on, and you begin to ask hard questions because you care about them and they care about you. Accountability happens when we live life together. We're around each other enough to see each other and see what's going on in each other's lives, right? Accountability is so very important. So relationships are critical. Jim Putman writes this about relationships. Without relationship between believers, there's no model to follow, no authenticity, no accountability, no application, and no support for the journey. These things come through personal contact, And because that relational context for learning is lacking, life change is much rarer than it should be among Christians today. And so if we're going to make disciples, the third essential is this. We've got to prioritize spending time together, formally and informally. In a connect group, in a a home or in a classroom, and hey, grabbing coffee during the week. Going to your friends' children's ball games, whatever. We've got to learn. And I know we're busy. We are as busy as we've ever been. I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. We're busy. But what we're doing by our busyness is we're crowding out relationships. And discipleship doesn't happen apart from relationships, right? We've got to prioritize spending quality time with each other. Or the Great Commission is not going to happen. Growth is not going to happen. Discipleship is not going to happen. And I speak from experience. The time in my life where I experienced the most rapid, transformative Christian growth is when someone made a decision to begin to spend time with me. I was finishing up high school, going into college, and my pastor, who had just come to our church, he had just graduated seminary, young guy, and he began just to hang out with me. And we talk about the Lord and talk about the Word of God. And he'd invite me over to his house and I'd eat dinner with his wife and kids. 
and I'd see a, a Christian husband and a Christian dad being modeled before me, and we'd go fishing together, and we'd play video games together, and we'd play basketball together, and we just hung out. And it was in that context that God began to bend my heart towards uh, preaching the gospel, and he walked me through my call to ministry, and just had a, a, a profound impact in my life. I can't, I can't overstate how much of an impact Chris had on my life. You know why? Because he spent time with me. There was some formal stuff going on where we talked formally about the Bible, made sure I was learning some things he thought I needed to learn, and there was a lot of informal time where I just got to watch him model it. And it was transforming in my life. I, I just can't overstate how much it meant that Chris made a decision to spend time with me. And l- really, that was the first time I was saved when I was nine years of age. And I grew up in the church. And I grew up in, uh, we had a small church, so the youth ministry was me and the pastor's daughter. There was not a big youth group, and, and we didn't have a youth minister, any of that. And, and it was just a, just a small church. But up until that point, no one had ever come along beside me and said, Wade, here's how you walk with Jesus. As a matter of fact, I remember times when we'd have worship services and the preacher would preach and we'd sing, and, and I'd leave the service and my heart was on fire. Like, I wanted to do something for Jesus. I, I mean, I was just on fire, but I didn't know what to do other than show up at church again. No one ever showed me, hey, this is how you study God's Word for yourself. This is how you pray. This is how you share your faith. I told you I have regrets about my time in high school because I had friends that would sit down and let me talk to them for five hours if I wanted to. And I never talked to him about Jesus. I never knew that was what I needed to be about. But man, when someone came and began to just spend time with me, relationship, I grew by leaps and bounds. And here's what I want you to understand. Look at me, look at me. You can have that same kind of impact in another person's life. You can be someone's Chris if you'll be intentional about it. Not going to happen by accident. You've got to be intentional. And so here's the point of, of this sermon. As we talk about kingdom connections, it's there in your notes. As we study God's word together, live life together, serve together, we will grow into faithful, multiplying followers of Christ. We've got to connect with each other. We've got to do that if we're going to grow and help others to grow and reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so where do I start? You say, wait, okay, I'm, I'm all about that. I want to be connected with other believers. I want to be connected in relationships. I want, to, I want this to happen in my life. Where do I start? Well, the good starting place is this. Plug into a connect groups. We call our small groups around here. We have some that meet on campus on Sunday morning, some that meet in homes at other times. We can get you information about that. If you need that information, I've been told we're out of brochures this morning with our connect groups, and so call the church office to get you another brochure. Go look at the website. But listen, uh, we'll get you the information that you need because we want you connected. Listen, we want you to make that transition from the large group, which is important. It's important that we gather and we worship Jesus corporately. The expository preaching is the foundation of all we do as a church. And so this time is, is critical. We want you here for this time. But we, want, we don't want you to get lost in the crowd. We want you to step into a small group where you can begin to build relationships. And see how God can use you, what he wants to do in your life, and how he wants to work through you in other people's lives. So plug into a connect group to build relationships. That's, that's step number one. And here's the second thing, and this goes back to me talking to the cattle herder in North Africa or the fisherman in Burma, the businessman in Western Europe, the 
stay-at-home mom in Michigan, the church planner in Oregon, the accountant in Texas. Wait, what would you say to them? How can they change the world? Here it is. You ready? Share Christ. Connect new believers. Or connect with new believers or believers that are not yet connected. Help them grow into disciple makers. Repeat. That's the plan to change the world. Share Christ. Connect new believers with other, uh, connect with new believers or believers that are not yet connected. Get with them. Build relationships. Help them grow into disciple makers. Repeat. That's how you change the world. Everyone can do this. By the power of the Spirit, on the foundation of the Word of God, everyone can do this. But it's going to take your time, and it's going to take you being intentional. Just floating through life is not going to get the job done. Share Christ. Connect with new believers, or believers who have not yet been discipled. Help them to grow into maturing disciple-makers themselves, and then do it again. That's how you change the world. David Platt writes this, making disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching people the word of Christ, and then enabling them to do the same thing in other people's lives. This is the plan of God has for each of us to impact nations for the glory of Christ. This plan seems so counterintuitive to our way of thinking. In a culture where bigger is always better and flashy is always more effective, Jesus beckons each of us to plainly, humbly, quietly focus our lives on people. That's powerful. 